But it's one of those things that you could never take for granted. Like you always have to realize you have somebody else's life in your hands and you have your own life in your hands. You know, when you're climbing, you have to be really, really careful. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. As you know, we survive off your support. And we want to say thank you to the people who have begun supporting us in the last few weeks. Thank you, Caroline, Adrian, Robert, and Nikolai. Thank you so much for your support on Patreon. And if you would like to be a supporter of this show, go to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. It's five bucks a month, and it gets you access to some really good content from people who are actively trying to build careers in the outdoor industry. Maybe they've made it, maybe they're well on their way, or maybe they just started, or maybe they're failing, and we'll learn what not to do. And if you're like me, and you want to learn how to build a business around your passion, and you don't want to be stuck at your 9 to 5 forever, then this Life Outside the Box series is for you. Now back to the episode. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Our guest today is Georgia Franklin. Gia, as our friends know her, did whatever she could to make sure she could spend her days rock climbing. Eventually, she even found herself on the set of Sylvester Stallone's 1993 movie, Cliffhanger, as a stunt double. Gia is here today to tell us about her passion for rock climbing. Gia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Gia, take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself and your connection to rock climbing. Well, um... I was always a really adventurous kid and uh, very athletic and climbing trees and climbing everywhere that I possibly could and um, didn't really discover climbing till I was in college. Um, I was I was a dance major and had a good friend who was an amazing slack line liner as well. He did some really cool stuff and then got me into climbing or introduced me to it. And I became very captivated by it. One of the reasons is as a dancer, uh, I spent, you know, six to eight hours a day inside the studio, five to six days a week. And I lived in Seattle at the time. And I also lived in New York. The weather's not always the best, kind of rainy. You're inside a lot. Right. And on my breaks, I would go out climbing and, you know, you're outside and you're using your arms so much, your core, your fingertips, toe tips, everything was was just really, really engaging, and I loved it. And so it just kind of won me over. At, at some point in my dance career, I kind of transitioned into climbing more. You probably found that being outdoors was a little bit more, uh, <laughs> a little better than being locked up inside a studio, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I loved being in the studio. I loved dance, and I love it still. It's like my first passion. And, um, but I was also, you know, you look at all these bodies out there climbing, and they it's like hard to find a guy, a you know, boyfriend in dance because most of them are not <laughs> the guys for me necessarily. So then I was like, oh, there's all these hot climber guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of terrible, but that's where my young mind was at when I was, like, you know, nineteen, twenty, and um, and it was fun being outside. I wasn't into it for the big, crazy adventure, and I was more into it just because it was. I loved the physicality of it, and I loved being outside, the fresh air, the sunshine, and um, yeah. So it was kind of a an adventurous spirit, sort of 
captivation. Right. So were you were you involved in other adventure sports, similar sports prior to climbing, or was this kind of your first foray into it? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I I you know grew up in Seattle for the most part, and you know ran around the city a lot and got into a lot of crazy adventures, just, you know, buildering, climbing around buildings and, you know, some of the massive trees here and um, bike riding and doing a lot of adventure stuff, but anything like more organized climbing was probably the first adventure sport that I did outside. Okay. You mentioned buildering. I've never heard of that. Buildering is like climbing up buildings. So like when you're in the city or you're at the universities or whatever, you're in college, or like I said, in the city, there's, uh, you know, you, when you're a climber, you get this obsession and you just want to climb everything. You look <laughs> at cracks in the road, street and you're like, oh, that looks like a really cool crack, you know, and everything just is sort of your playground. So buildering is a way for city kids and um, city folk and um, people who are in college or whatever who maybe don't have access to outdoor climbing as easily can, it's, you know, it can be dangerous because the landing is typically cement below. Right. So you want to make sure you're being safe or, you, you know, most people don't use protection and don't use ropes for that. But nowadays, there's, you know, climbing is so much more mainstream than when I was, uh, when I first started. There were not a ton of women in the sport. And, um not a lot of kids. It was just a really crazy fringe sport, but now it's very common and there's climbing gyms everywhere. And so it's much more accessible now than it used to be. So I don't know if buildering is quite as popular as it used to be with the fringy people <laughs> who are into climbing. That's funny. I'm afraid my son's going to hear this episode and he's going to start buildering. He's all into parkour and uh, I just imagine him climbing up some building when I turn around and there he is three stories up. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And, I mean, there's some crazy videos you can see of, of people doing it, like going up pretty high. And so, you know, and a lot of times it is fairly solid because it's consistent. You know what's coming because buildings are, you know, built with, you know, consistent relief and whatnot. So you don't get the big surprises that you would get out in the natural world climbing. So right. not that it's safe necessarily, but you at least kind of have something that you know what's coming for you. Well, I imagine you have, probably have to learn. And somebody how to, might have a window open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine you probably have to learn how to get chased off of properties too. There's probably quite a few landowners that aren't interested in your hobby. Well, you know, it's so funny because that, that reminds me, it's a story I actually kind of forgotten about, but um, my husband and I, Scott, um, Franklin, who's also like a really you know big time climber, did a lot of really great American ascents and whatnot. But he um, he and I went to Japan back in the late '90s, and we were there visiting our friend who has a, a big distribution company for climbing equipment. And he's like in his 60s, but very active climber, skier, super fit, and he wanted to show us this really cool Buddha. And it was actually locked up. So he's like, I guess the, the, the area was locked. So we were, he was like, well, we came all the way out here. We can just climb over this wall. And <laughs> so we were like, okay, let's, all right. You know, if you, if you want, if you think it's okay, let's, we'll, we'll do it. 
so we climbed over this big wall and we kind of, you know, we're trespassing into this sacred Buddha area that we were, you know, surprised this closed. They were probably doing some construction and we got busted by these guards. It was really embarrassing, especially <laughs> for my friend, I think, because he's like a 60 year old businessman, but very, but anyway, it was really, it was awesome. It's an awesome story. And he was kind of, oh yeah, my friends came all the way from the United States to see the Buddha and it was locked. So we were climbers and anyway, yeah. So sometimes you do have to get chased off and sometimes you get busted. That's great. So sometimes you don't. You're, you're simply saying that you're grown adults who know how to uh, have a good time and act like kids from time to time. Absolutely. It's the way to go. <laughs> Why would you encourage people to take up rock climbing if they never have? Well, one of the things that I love so much about climbing and always have is that it is so completely engaging. So from your toe tips to your fingertips, you are on and it really helps your focus. Um, I'm somebody who has always loved heights. Not everybody does love heights. And there are some people who are boulderers who do like, you know, shorter really hard physical problems, but they don't like to go higher than say 10 or 20 feet. They get gripped like on, on going high. Um, but they're really into climbing. So some people get into it cause they like heights and the exposure. I love the heights and exposure. Um, and I also just love the fact that it was so physically completely engaging and it is, engages your mind you get so fixated on things and focus and um emotional it's amazing how obsessed and emotional and intense you know you can get with it and physically it's so exhilarating when I was first starting to climb and I was you know I was really natural when I started and I don't know if it was just just me and I liked height so I didn't have to deal with that kind of fear factor um and I I had a lot of good moves from dance and just my, you know, background of who I was as a physical person. Um, but I could face climb. But I didn't know how to crack climb at all. And then I was, you know, my friend who first took me climbing, put me on this crack climb and I didn't really know the technique of how to put your fingers in and jam them in and all that stuff. And it was miserable. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> And I was just like, I hate climbing. <laughs> All climbers are liars. This is like the stupidest thing ever. And I was just so bumming. And I, I did the climb, but I was just hate, hating it and felt just miserable. When I came down, I was just like, oh, this sucks. I never want to do it again, blah, blah, blah. And then 20 minutes later, I was like, okay, I want to do another climb. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm, I got a problem here. So I just think I love it because it's super physical. And I've like had my mom who, you know, she's 32 years older than me. She's never physical her whole life. I've had her climb up stuff where she, you know, she felt safe and she was really able to use her whole body. I've had my husband's mom's climbing and people who just are not climbers. You get them out on something that they can do. And the sense of accomplishment for them is really amazing. And we've taken professional basketball players climbing who are, you know, they're used to really being in control on a court, but they get up on a rock. And, you, you know, some people are really just petrified of heights. Right. So that can be a problem. But there's just, it's something that is, you just overcome so much. And you there's such a sense of satisfaction when you're done. And there are the people who are really crazy, wild you know, adventurers who just need that 
thrill. And I, that's not where I came from with it. I just came from it because I, I love the physicality. I love the location that climbing would take you. So I just think you just feel really like involved in life climbing. So that's, you know, and you go to some of the most beautiful, spectacular places on the planet. Yeah, you really, you really can get hooked on it. I've, you know, I do a little bit of climbing. Um, and the times that I have gone, it's just, I mean, being up there on the wall, if you're, as long as you don't have that fear of, of falling off of the thing, like you said, you're just totally locked in and fixated on what you're doing at the moment, where that next crack is. Um, it is it's a phenomenal experience to be up there. Yeah. And I was, I was really into the gymnastics end of climbing, like more pushing the hard physical limits of it rather than like these, you know, intense adventuring, you know, scary or mountaineering like that, that was not really my scene. I was much more into just pushing your body as hard as you possibly could, like pure physicality, like how strong your hands could grip something, how small the holds were, you know, how much endurance you had. Um, so every move was, you know, kind of edge of your ability. And, and another thing that I just love about climbing, whether you're at the highest end or in the middle or in the beginning is there's this sense of like, Oh, that's impossible. I can't do that. And you try and you work on it and you work your way past that sense of this is impossible. I can't do it to like trying and working at it and applying yourself to then doing it. And being like, wow, I just did what seemed impossible to me. And then you surpass that and then you find another goal. So it's just this, you know, ongoing relationship. And even though I don't climb as hard as I did back in the day, I still completely love it. And it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's a really cool thing to do for the body. Yeah, absolutely. And mind. Physically and meditatively for sure. Yeah, because it really, like, it brings in your focus like nothing else. And you, what you're thinking about is, it's so, um, you have instant feedback when you're climbing about telling yourself whether you can do something, like whether you say, I used to teach climbing in workshops and, you know, different privates and just, you know, going out a lot. And, you know, if you say in your mind, yes, I can get this hold, chances are you're going to get it. If you say, oh, no. I don't know. No, it's practically impossible. So that's, there's like this whole mental, mental aspect of it as well. That's really pretty thrilling to see it in, in um, action. Yeah. I imagine it teaches you a lot of uh, life's lessons at the same time. Once you, you set your mind to something and you, you accomplishment, then the bar moves higher, but you realize that you can get to and surpass that bar the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And there's, you know, there's like any time with climbing, like any t- or any, you know, thing going up, you have to find a way to get back down. Mm-hmm. And so that's been always the, the issue is like, how do you get back down safely? And I've known so many people who've, who've died or passed away climbing, who were guides, who were professional. And so there's a lot of risk that can happen and you can feel, Oh, you know, like belaying can be very simple. Like you just, you learn it, it becomes habitual, but it's one of those things that you could never take for granted. Like you always have to realize you have somebody else's life in your hands and you have your own life in your hands. You know, when you're climbing, so you have to be really, really 
careful and heads up because there is a very strong price to pay and people who have been professionals for years and top of their game have died by a lot of just simple mistakes or a lot of the, you know, new kids coming into climbing who climb in gyms and it's much more set up than being outside. There can be issues there too. So there is a lot of risk and even though sport climbing can be relatively safe, um, you just really have to have a sense that, I mean, you don't have to, but I like to have a sense of, um, you know, just the, you know, really honoring where you're at. You're on a rock face and you're going up and there's inherent risks even if you're professional or you're dialed in. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. Maybe you could go into a little bit of the various types of climbing. I'm, I'm listening to you talk and thinking about some of the listeners. They might not have uh, even delved into uh, climbing at all to the point where they even understand what different types of climbing are or what belaying means. Can you go into a little bit of that just to kind of clear that up? Sure. Yeah, so one of the most simple forms of climbing is called bouldering or buildering, and that is when you are climbing without ropes, typically, maybe you just have shoes on, maybe you're barefoot, and maybe you have chalk for your hands so that if they get sweaty or whatever, you do have um, a, you know, you have some security. But, um, so bouldering, you can do low to the ground, like you can traverse across, like horizontally across rocks. I When I was a dancer living in Seattle, there was a water tower that went pretty high, but you could do, you could boulder around the, the circumference of it. And it was all these bricks and they were all very different. And so you had a lot of variety. You could get really, really pumped, but you were like just a couple of feet off the ground. So there was not a huge risk. So there's um, bouldering, which is much more simple because you don't need all this equipment and it can be easy or it can be desperately hard. There are people who boulder extremely hard, and there are some of the strongest people in the world for that. And then there's um, called traditional climbing, which is you use um, camming devices, like they're called friends or, or um, nuts, and they're, um, they're these really strong, really cool engineered, fairly simple but really dialed, 
types of um, equipment that you can put into rock cracks or, or holes or whatever that keep you protected. And it's a little bit trickier to learn how to do traditional climbing. Um, and those are usually for people who are doing mountaineering or places like Yosemite, etc. cetera. And um, so um, that is a really cool, you know, one of the foundational parts of climbing and then there's what's called sport climbing which is what I was more into and sport climbing is more the gymnastics climbing uh, where you're really pushing yourself on a physical level rather than like adventure and scary and you know when you place protection you usually like will place it you know around either above your head and then as you climb up and it goes from above your head and then you start to climb above to where it's maybe at your feet, then all of a sudden you're going to fall. If you fall, you're going to fall the distance of your feet, you know, from, you know, how high you are where your protection's at your feet. And then there'll be like extra slack in the rope. So you stand to fall quite a ways. And then if you're belayer, the person who has your rope um, and kind of holding your lifeline with equipment uh, on the ground or on the rock, because you can do multi-pitch routes where you are, you know, doing, uh, like in Yosemite, it's a 3,000 foot cliff and you are, you know, you will be belaying in the middle of the rock face. And so, um, there's just a lot of, um, risk that can happen with traditional climbing as well as sport climbing. And sometimes with traditional climbing, you get really, really run out where the, you may be 20 feet above your, last protection or more. And sometimes when you're doing mountaineering, you will do simo climbing and, and or like big cliffs, like in, when they do those speed climbs in um, Yosemite, they'll be simo climbing. So you don't have a belay station. Both climbers are continually moving. And the person who's leading, who's at the top, will be placing protection um, into the rock, and as the second person comes up, they take it out, and it, this is just a faster way, but it also can be really dicey because you don't have a point where you were, you know, clipped into the wall or you're on the ground. And then there's a sport climbing, which is a little bit more safe, but it's, um, it's you know, more edge of a physical, um, people's physical limits for just pure strength and endurance moves. And then there's the gym climbing, which is really fun. And you can be indoors to climb as a boulder or a, you know, leading. And leading is when you're the one who's putting the protection in or clipping bolts that are already pre-placed on the wall. So I don't know if that gives you kind of an idea. No, I think that's great. So would you recommend if somebody's going to try it for the first time, would you recommend them going and learning in a gym uh, or out outdoors. Either way, they have a trainer, you know, in the scenario. But which which would be a better way to start? Well, I guess it really depends on what your situation is. I mean, for me, I did learn um, outside, and I had somebody who had years of experience and was really solid and safe. Um, so the most important thing is like being with somebody who is very practical and safe and has a lot of experience. And, um, will not get muffled, you know, like ruffled mentally. Um, and if, uh, like 
obviously the gym is much more practical or convenient for a lot of people because you can get into it with a lower amount of risk and you can experience the physicality of climbing. Um, but being outdoors is also another thing that's really, really captivating. And a lot of these top uh, competitive climbers, because there's competition climbers too, and they will train indoors a lot. And then, you know, when they go outside, it's a little trickier for them um, because they're used to training or they, you know, you, you get comfortable inside of a gym or an, an indoor climbing experience and being outside can be much more, I don't know, I, I, I love both. So I think that the most important thing is to find um, a place that's safe and that's convenient for you. Gyms are, could be easier to find, but, you, you know, there's guides at most any climbing area that you can um, hire to take you out. And so I guess it just whatever seems to captivate each person. Everybody's different. Yeah, so I imagine it depends on what you're in it for. If you're in it for the exercise and don't care so much about the outdoor environment, then maybe the gym's for you. But if you're in it for the the psychological, the uh, calming aspect of being in the outdoors, then obviously go that route. But I think ultimately one way or the other, learning the fundamentals, um, all of the terminology as well as the knots and, you know, placement of, of your protection is, you know, what you need from either, either end, whether it's a gym or outdoors, that's, that's primary. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. And so it just really is, you know, kind of what suits you, each individual person. Right. So what would you say your best accomplishment as a climber has been? Is there just one moment or one thing you're just really, really proud of? Well, I was um, the third woman in the United States to climb 513. And that was, you know, what I, you know, those, the two women who were, who climbed it before me were Lynn Hill and Bobby Bensman. And they, you know, they're, you know, world renowned climbers and then Robin Urbisfeld, who she she did it quickly after I did, and then went on to be like world champion rock climber. So she's has a lot of accomplishments. Um, so that, but that's something that I feel proud of because I hadn't been climbing for very long, seriously. But I had, um, you know, been really focused on it for probably a good year and a half, and I really was able to make a lot of progress and become a professional climber and and hit that 513 mark. Um, and consistently climbed 513 and I, you know, won national competitions and I've, um, you know, placed in the top, you know, was in one of the top finalists in national competitions, um, for the time that I was competing. And yeah, I just, I mean, I, I have so many different climbs that I, I really love doing, but I like, you know, doing the hard end of climbing and feeling like I really was able to get fit and push my body and mind and emotions to a point where I could do stuff that was just felt like it was impossible right. before I, I did them. That sense of like, it just really feels magical. Well, a 513 is a serious accomplishment. Um, can you, is, how can you describe that to somebody that doesn't understand the various uh, levels of climbing? Well, um, Five, I guess, I guess the hardest climbs right now that only a handful of people are doing is 515, which is extremely, extremely hard. And 514 is also a handful, but more 
now are doing it and there's even kids who are doing it who, you know, it's just so weird how evolution <laughs> creates these opportunities for people to really excel at stuff. It's like, wow, mind boggling. And there's a lot more people who are climbing and training and, you know, really getting into the physiology of climbing, psychology, physiology, the whole aspect of it to really push the limits. So, um, 514 is very, very upper end as well. And there used to only be, you know, a handful of people who could do 514. And 513 is, it's just super, super hard. Even today for professional climbers, um, doing 513 is challenging, you know. Um, 512 is super respectable and difficult. And 511 is sort of like the entry to harder climbing. 510, I always find is, um, it's fun and it's should, you know, doable. I want to be climbing 510, 511 until I'm like 80. Um, be fun to do 512, 513, but you know, you're, it can be very intensive on your, on your finger joints right. as well. Um, five, eight, kind of an entry level in my opinion, but there, you know, five, six is maybe more of an entry level for a lot of people. Um, five, six is usually not too terribly hard, but for some people who might be really scared of heights or don't have a lot of physicality, five, six could be really challenging. Five, eight is when it starts to maybe get five, eight, five, nine, it starts to get a little bit more physical, a little bit more challenging. Five, 10 is like where you're starting to get into more technical five, 11. You're start, like I said, it's more of the entry grade of harder climbing. Right. So five, 13 is like, you're holding on to a really small hole. You have to be seriously fit to to be doing that grade. Yeah, and that's and what I'm I, not doing that right. That's what I wanted to paint the picture of. So the difference in the levels of climbs are the cracks that you can access. So if you have a nice big foothold, you know, you're down in the five six range. But if you have this tiny little crack that only the tip of your, your climbing shoe can get onto, you know, now we're starting to escalate. It's the reach um, you know, between your, your handholds that you can get to, um, you know, the size of the cracks, all of that, that's what makes the difference between a, you know, a lower level five, six, five, seven, up to what you're talking about in the more diff- difficult climbs, vertical cracks, that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to paint a little bit of a picture for the people that didn't understand as to what makes a route harder than another route. Well, another thing, a couple other things that make it harder is, um, uh, the angle of the wall, so it can be either uh, slabby, which is like, you know, you're not really using a lot of hand strength, but you're more super balancy and it's not quite vertical. Um, those are usually easier climbs. And then there's like vertical climbs, which can be extremely hard. There's like, you know, 514s that are on vertical walls that are just the handholds and the footholds are so incredibly small. And then um, you can have an overhang where you're climbing kind of maybe not necessarily upside down, but you're, you're on your arms a lot. You have to really work your body positioning and it's incredibly physical. And there's roof climbing where you really are like horizontal to the ground and it's really, really physical for the whole entire body, in particular the core and the arms. Nothing that makes a climb hard or easy could be maybe it's just one move or two moves that are just extremely challenging. And then the rest may be kind of sustained or it might be relatively easy. Like you can have a 513 move and the rest of it's 511 and it will still be 513. Or you can have a climb that's just consistently say 512 
and then there's something, maybe a sequence that's really hard, and then they might say that's going to be a 513 as well. So it could be that it's either sustained, like it's continual, and then there's maybe a harder sequence, um, or the angle, or it's just, yeah, like really long and really challenging or bouldery and, you know, hard. Right. So there's a variety of ways to make something or really technical and, um, or very physical. Like you have to dyno, like you have to jump from one hole to the next. And, you know, some people might have a better physicality to jump, you know, or, you know, maybe they have stronger fingers to hold on to tiny little holds. Uh, or the ability to stand on tiny little holds. You know, there's all kinds of aspects to make it. It could be physical. It could be technical. It could be reach. It could be one move. It could be a series of moves. It could be endurance that creates uh, why a route would be harder or easier. Uh, that's a good explanation. It's uh, it's it's even more complex than I understood it to be. There's a there's a lot of stuff there that goes into to uh, naming a route. Yeah, there is. But once you, you know, you get into it, then it all becomes much more, it makes more sense. Right. Right. So how about a time when things didn't go right? Is there a story where you just questioned whether you should really be up on that rock? Uh, on like a particular climb or not? Yeah. Any any moment that just really yeah. had you wondering... <laughs> Well, one of the, I have many, but um, <laughs> one time, like, you know, after I did the movie Cliffhanger, um, you know, there was, it was it shot in this amazing location in Italy, in the Dolomites, and you had to helicopter, we had to helicopter into a lot of locations, so um, we'd be in these crazy, crazy locations, and the weather was, it was from winter time to spring, so it was pretty, pretty inconsistent and stormy weather, which made um, filming a little extra challenging. Um, and there, I did this, I did a, a fall in the movie at the beginning and it, it ended up being making movie history at the time of like the longest fall, um, in a movie it was like 450 feet. So it was pretty intense and it was a very coveted stunt. Wow. Um, I had, you know, these Hollywood stunt guys were like, there are people that, you know, stunt guys who've been in the business for 20 years and have never got a chance to do a stunt like, you're doing all these people wanted my job. So, you know, to do, the, to do that particular stunt, I did a lot of other stunts as well, but um, I had gotten hired because I was a professional climber and I looked a lot like um, the actress. So um, the people, the climbers who were rigging the stunts really wanted me, they wanted a professional climber to, to doing it. They just didn't want a regular, like not a regular, but like a stunt person who, who maybe didn't have the experience because, you know, doing, there was a woman who a stunt woman who was like, Hey, I've been practicing for six weeks. I'm ready. I'm going to do this. And she actually got the job for a couple of weeks before the, the rigging crew were like, no, no, you have to have um, a professional climber doing this. Cause there's just too many places where it's really dangerous. So anyway, right. there was a lot of pressure on the movie to, in these locations with rockfall, with, um, you know, rain and all kinds of different things that were really, really, intense and being on a movie like that it was like you know huge budget of course it was going over because you're in the mountains and the weather is really inconsistent you've got helicopter locations everywhere so there's a lot of pressure from the stunt side where people wanted to do the stunt and blah 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 and then um finally after three months we you know the weather was finally good enough for us to to get in and and do the big fall 
So after all this buildup and pressure, and I did a ton of other really fun stunts, we did that big, the big fall. It was awesome, super fun and exhilarating. And, you know, we partied at night and it was great. It was like celebratory. The next morning, super early in the morning, Scott had been on location with me and he's like, okay, let's go do this, you know, mountaineering climb. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like I really needed to sleep in. And it was, you know, he got me up, but like the crack of dawn, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this, but okay, fine. And, um, and I'd never really done any really, you know, kind of mountaineering climbs. Um, but he was super gung ho. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. And and it was easy. Like it was well within my physical limits, but it was multi-pitch climbs. And so at one point, like we're climbing and I'm like, he, I hadn't seen him for hours and I, and I'm climbing and I'm just like, why is it all is, you know, relatively easy in certain areas. So there was all this rope on one area of the climb where I'm kind of walking across. I'm like, why is there so much rope? And I started like coiling all this rope, like probably, you know, good, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 feet of rope. And then I realized, like I was telling you that before, when you're doing mountaineering climbs or big um, rock climbs when you're trying to go fast, you simo climb where people are climbing simultaneously. Right. And I was like, oh, I think we're simo climbing. <laughs> I think that must be what happened because I haven't seen Scott for hours. And I've got all this rope and and maybe he's at a tricky place because the rope hasn't been moving up for a while. And so, uh, and then we finally, I finally caught up with him and it was like doing a little bit more challenging rock climbing over this roof section and wasn't super, super challenge super hard, but it was hard enough in that particular area. And I was really tired and I was, you know, anyway, so that was one point in time when I was like, wow, this is really, really, um, I don't want to be here right now, but I was glad when we, you know, got to the top and we finished and came down. And, but a couple other climbs like that, when I did, we did El Cap in a day and I didn't have any idea what that was going to mean. It was like, we climbed 3000 feet in one day. So we left really early in the morning and I was really strong and fit at the time for climbing. And it was not the hardest climb I'd ever done, but it was a traditional route and it was super sustained and it was a lot of exposure. <laughs> you're just up there. You're like, okay, you cannot miss, you make a mistake because you, you will die. You, you just That's like the last one you the, do, right? <laughs> the price to, yeah, the price to pay is just really high. So that was, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've been daunted by how much exposure there is, even though I do love heights. There are times where you're like, okay, there, there's no slack in the system here. <laughs> so there are some moments like that, and it feels good to get through it, but you realize, and then, you know, it's sad because, you know, we've known so many people who've, who've died climbing, and you just realize it's, you, you just have to be on your game. And really heads up, like, all the time. Yeah, you got to keep your mind about you, and then you also have to learn from mistakes that you or others make at the same time and, and don't, don't let them go to waste, for sure. Yeah, like, I, I always like to put things in the positive. Like, not say don't take anything for granted, so you take everything as you just super heads up on everything. Right. And I think that what happens sometimes with people is they may get tired or they, they it becomes such a habit to belay or to do something and it's you know you just one simple mistake sometimes can cost a life and that's that so so there are those moments and so yeah it's super fun and it's becoming much more mainstream i love it so much but you know stay safe yeah absolutely be smart about it 
If you want to get into backpacking, but you're not sure where to start, go check out campcrate.net. Campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Campcrate. Rent. Explore. Return. So tell us a little bit more about the the movie shoot. Um, so this was the scene where Sarah is basically shimming shimmying across a cable and her she falls, but then her buckles, uh, the metal buckles, somehow mysteriously break and are stretching. And Sylvester Stallone's hanging out of a helicopter or something, trying to trying to save her. Tell us a little bit about how they how they had you in that uh, rigged in that system in the fall and everything. Yeah, that was a really, really cool location. It actually is called Torre Divise, like uh, Twin Towers. You were 1,000 feet high uh, towers, and there was one area where um, the gap was about 200 feet and then a gap where it was maybe around 50 feet or so. And so they, there were a lot of stubs and a lot, a lot of filmmaking that went on up in that area. And, um, you know, like I said, there was a lot of pressure to do the stunt, and, you know, the weather had we were going to try to do this stunt kind of in the beginning of filming, but then um, it was um, um, the, the weather just moved in. So we were not able to, to get to the stunt for um, some time for, for a couple months actually. So then by the time the, the weather front and cleared, we were up there and the actress was up there actually, and she was doing some, some stunt work with one of the, um, the other stuntman, one of Sylvester Stallone's stunt guys. So she was up there and um, she was doing some work and she's getting really into character. And, and he, the director's like, okay, go out again. Let's shoot that again. And she just like had lost it. And she was like, crying. I was like, oh, I don't want to, do I have to, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm good. He's like, okay, that's cool. And then he's like, okay, get ready for the stunt <laughs> to me. Like, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing it like right, right now. I'm like, okay. And so they, uh, and it was, you know, we kind of knew it was coming or that it could be coming, but it was um, pretty intense. And all of a sudden, we're like, okay, jump in. And I had a, a full body harness on, which, and they just cinched it down super tight. I had to um, wear this kind of uh, clothing that you couldn't that made it the really smooth because there was, you know, when they put a body harness on you, then you can see kind of where it is. So they wanted to have it camouflage, right? All these different clothing. And then they, they actually sewed me in to my clothing. So, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck. And, um, then they had to wait for a helicopter to be ready in case there was an accident, which I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall 400 feet. And <laughs> it's be nothing a to get. Feet, <laughs> a thousand, yeah, it's a thousand feet to the ground. If I fall, there's, why do you need a helicopter? But anyway, so we had to wait. The pressure was just mounting. It was so intense. And then, um, you know, we got out there and I had done some other work, some other stunt work out on this big cable and, but I hadn't done the fall. I'd done some practice falls and I was like, whoa, like 70 foot practice falls in these trees. And I was like, holy crap, those, this is, 
scary to fall 70 feet That's really far. fast. Yeah. But I didn't want to, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't want to tell anybody. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep this to myself. And, um, cause everybody's like, I'll take, I'll do your job. I'll do you just that. I'm like, no way, man, I'm not going <laughs> to give this up. And, uh, so anyway, it came time to do it. And, you know, like I said, the pressure was like super high, like finally, finally, finally ready to do it. And we're out there in the middle of, you know, this crazy expanse. And, um, you know, I did this fall and I told this, the, the guy who, who built the stunt equipment, he's like this, you know, genius stunt equipment builder. And he'd done all these movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Terminator movies and whatnot. And I was like, just, send me as fast as you can and as, you know, let's make this, you know, as in, as dramatic as possible. I was like totally game. And so, you know, he, cause it was on a fan descender. And so you basically lower somebody down really fast or you could do it slow. But I was like, let's just go for it. I was, you know, before I had kids and <laughs> I was much more of a daredevil. Um, so we three sixteenth inch cable and it was connected to like a, um, a carabiner, like a tiny little pick area, not carabiner, but like a carabiner type thing at my chest. And um, so three sixteenth inch cable is really small. And because it's cable, you cannot, like with a rope, you can take a fall and it will catch you. Like you can, you know, take a, you know, a 50 foot fall and you should, you know, your rope should be able to catch you and you can have slack like that in your system. But with cable, there's no slack. So it has to be everything because ha- it will just break. Right. Um, so everything had to be really dialed. And so I did, um, I didn't know what it was going to do, you know, how it was going to be, but I said, like, just go for it. And um, he was a very religious guy. Like, okay, let's pray. <laughs> Please <laughs> do. do it. <laughs> uh, let's just go for it. And uh, fortunately, my husband actually was there and was able to film in one of the prime filming positions um, that another uh, filmmaker was at David Brashears, who was, um, he's done a lot of trips up Everest. So that was really cool. Cause we have some actual footage of the film, you know, behind the scenes. And yeah. anyway, so I, you know, did this big fall and I, you know, they wheeled me, they, you know, uh, pulled me back up with, you know, went with this winch and then we did it again. And then later I found out, um, that it was, you know, especially when you could watch the fall that I fell, like I did a, the fall at 415 feet in about four seconds. So, wow. you know, pretty close to terminal velocity. And then the last 35 feet, they had to slow it down. So that, that was also another four seconds. Um, and um, it was thrilling. I mean, it was, I always joke, like I would have paid to do that because, you know, just that whole experience was really, really fun. Um, and exciting for me, especially at the time of my life. And, um, yeah, so then, you know, but it was also super, super uncomfortable with the harness and the way that that was all set up. So it was a huge relief to be done with that particular stunt. Um, but again, I would have, you know, done it again and again. It was great. Oh yeah. So that was all in one take then? It was done in two takes. Okay. And then, and then the way that they put it together in the movie is they use some of that fall and then they use some, they cut a lot of stuff together. They threw a dummy off. They filmed some of that. They filmed the actress in Rome doing these big falls, um, just like, you know, in the studio into big, huge mats. So they just edited it together and put a bunch of different, um, you know, scenes of falling together. And, um, but we, I actually have the footage of, 
the actual fall um, from Scott. And it, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad I have that still. Yeah, that's precious to have. That's awesome. Yeah, it looks cr- pretty crazy because you're like in the middle of this big expanse. You can't really see that there's any protection. And then you know, you're about halfway down by the time they start bringing you back up. And yeah, it was pretty wild. Super fun. It puts bungee jumping to shame, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I did this huge fall and, you know, it was movie history at the time, you know, big deal. And I did a lot of other really crazy fun stunts on the movie. And then afterwards we, you know, we stopped filming and, you know, we went back, I went back to my life in the States as a professional climber and we were with some friends in New York and they were really into bungee jumping. And so we went up to do this bungee jump under this bridge at night. You couldn't see anything. And they were used to doing it maybe, I don't know, 100 feet or maybe more. But sadly, the um, one of our really good friends who was Sylvester Stallone's main climbing double, because he had several different doubles. He had the action double. He had a couple, he had like three different climbing doubles. But the guy who did the main stuff, Wolfgang Gulick, who was just such a brilliant guy, so strong and super sweet, um, he ended up dying in a car accident and he was like the first person that I knew who had died, you know, as, as a climber. Right. Um, and so there I am under the bungee jump, like, okay, I've just done this big fall in Italy, did all these crazy stunts and I'm here under this bungee jump. But one of my, you know, really good buddies had just died and, and I just made me realize, you know, it just didn't make sense to just throw your body off, you know, like just to <laughs> put some caution to the wind and, you know, just be so cavalier with our bodies. And so it took me quite a while to get psyched up to do the bungee jump, which I normally would have thought would have been no problem. Right. But, um, yeah, it took me a while to, to get psyched up to do it. Yeah. I that, ended up that's doing interesting. It. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was crazy, but yeah, I was trying to honor my friend too. And but yeah, it uh, so it didn't totally put bungee jumping to shame. Bungee jumping is its own thing. I have a very healthy respect for it too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to respect your time. So can we wrap up the interview with a funny story? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, look. I don't know what kind of funny story. I mean, I feel like the whole my whole experience climbing was pretty funny. <laughs> um, uh. Oh, I mean, okay, I can do one story potentially. I don't know. I can tell you and you can you know, see what you think. But when, you know, we were climbing, we spent a lot of time in Europe and traveling around because that was like kind of where the, the most extreme sport climbing was. And we were really into sport climbing. And so we were, you know, in Europe and, you know, all the European climbers like completely styly and super professional. And, you know, we're these American guys and we're, you know, we, we, you know, pretty on our game as well. But, um, and Scott was sponsored by this one Italian company and, uh, you know, they'd give him, you know, money and they'd give him clothes and, you know, different things like that. And one, one, um, weekend we were in Italy waiting to go see them on Monday and it was like Saturday and we were completely out of money. We didn't have any cash. We didn't have any gas in our car and we had no food because <laughs> we didn't have any money. So we were like, okay, we're going to just sleep at the gas station until Monday opens up. And we're, so that was something that was uh, really funny. And we went there, got the, we 
finally, you know, got into Dolomite and they gave us these, you know, money and we got these outfits that they're like, okay, here's these, you know, matching sweatpants and sweatshirts that we're going to give you guys. And we're like, okay. And, you know, like in Europe, they're wearing all these really swank little Adidas outfits and everybody's right. looking really pretty cool. But the the ones that they gave us, or they gave us is like super lame, like bright cherry red, um, super ill-fitting uh, sweatshirt <laughs> and sweatpants. And then like a Kelly green one. And they like had this Dolomite thing. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's Italy and they're super styly. But these were the most like, most horrendously fitting sweatpants and you know Scott and I were you know we were super fit we were like on our game but we were camping out in Italy as well and we um we were like camping at this big area we didn't usually camp with like a lot of people around we kind of find these kind of obscure places to camp um but anyway so we were playing cards in a tent and whatnot and then you know we'd get out like okay let's go brush our teeth or you know, go do our thing out in, you know, where everybody else is. And we'd be wearing our matching uh, <laughs> <what>, outfits. <laughs> Special outfits. He's in red, I'm in green. <laughs> and we just look so incredibly stupid. But we, and we knew it, but we were kind of doing it as jokingly. It's funny to us. I don't know. People probably thought we were just like totally disgusting and ridiculous. That's funny. There's a um, candid, candid camera somewhere around there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And we would just be laughing as well. And, all right. Well, I appreciate you taking uh, some time out to tell us about rock climbing and explain uh, a few of the ins and outs for those that, that may not know. Cool. It was my pleasure. So stay safe, everybody. Have fun. All right, Gia. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, y'all, for listening to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Remember, go out there have a little fun but stay safe doing it all right don't go get hurt now <laughs>